happy Saturday, M to Z. Hey, as they are getting that in place, can we just uh, say thank you to all of our military just for a minute? Come on. So good. You know, these holiday weekends like this are just a reminder to me personally just what a privilege we have to live in a region like we do, where we're surrounded by heroes every single day. So if you are serving or have served, uh, we just, we want to say thank you. We are forever uh, grateful uh, to you and your sacrifice. So just a couple of other thank yous too before we dig into the message for tonight. Uh, We just want to give a big shout out to Chris House, his team, putting the worship together every week. They've just worked so hard, tirelessly in here into the wee hours of that, oftentimes putting those sets together. Ryan and his team, Vanessa, production meetings every week. Uh, Jonathan, our media media guy, we call him Harry Potter. He's the uh, wizard of all things uh, online. And then also Pastor Justin with uh, just getting everything up and running because going forward it's doing a live, live services and an online service as well. So if you're watching online, we're glad you're here. Give us a shout out in the chat. Let us know. You're present, and, uh, and then if you'd like for someone to pray with you, then staff are available for that. So if you've got your Bible, you can t- turn to John 7. You can turn to John 7. I'm going to be preaching out of Luke 15, but I want you to turn to John 7 because I'm not going to read the verses out of Luke 15. If we have time at the end, I'm going to read them because I want you to hear them in a different light tonight. And so let's look at... John 7, because this is going to give us the context through which that we're going to understand Luke 15. John 7, verse 15. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, right, referring to the conversation, the great born-again conversation in John 3, says, Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up, Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked. And they replied, Are, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself no prophet ever comes from Galilee. And and what we find here is that these religious leaders and so many other people, they often misunderstood Jesus because they were trying to define him in a way that he was not supposed to be defined. See, when someone's being defined in a way that God never intended, they will always be misunderstood. Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He was the prophet. He was the Messiah. He is the son of the living God. Now, we do this to other people all the time, do we not? In our marriages, in our parenting, our children to us, in in the workplace, in our communities. We, We have a tendency to define people in a way that we want to define them that might be very different than the way that God intends for them to be defined. And whenever that happens, there will always be a misunderstanding. Other people do it to us. We don't like it, but the greatest tragedy is when we do it to ourselves. There has to be at some point that we come to in this life where we're willing to say, I want God to define who I am through the truth of his word so that I can truly understand my identity in light of his plan for my life. A phrase that's been resonating with me for the last several weeks is that I want God's story to be my history. I want God's story to be my history. I trust that you believe like 
I do, that God is writing a story. And he started that story long before creation ever began. And now, theologically, we're in the time of creation. But the Bible says that one day the heaven and the earth, as we know it today, as the Bible explains it to us, will one day pass away and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That's what he was referring to. He's working on the new heaven and the new earth. His story is going to continue and you and I have a part that we're supposed to play in that story. Now, we've got a part that we're supposed to play in that story in eternity, but we certainly also have a part that we're supposed to play in it now. He gave us the gift of life because there is a role that we're supposed to play. All of us at some point are going to breathe our last. We're going to come to the end of our lives, and that life that you and I live is our history. The question is, will the history that we create through the choices that we make, will it be in line and a reflection of the story that God wrote for us? I want my history to be God's story. I want his story to be my history. Now, your story is going to look different than my story in many ways. But in some ways, they are supposed to be a mirror image of each other. And three things that we're going to look at tonight, three pursuits I'm calling them, should be a central part of everybody's history because it is most certainly a central part of God's story for your life. Finding our flock, adding our value, and embracing our role. Let me give them to you again. Finding our flock, adding our value, and embracing our role. You and I are doomed to a misunderstood identity until we are ready to be defined in part by these three pursuits. I'm calling this message still lost because Luke 15 gives us the three famous lost parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And we've always been taught and studied them and understood them from the perspective of being spiritually lost, and they certainly are all of that. These parables about evangelism, these parables about the gospel, these parables about rescuing people for their eternity. But they're not just that. It's also about church life. See, you can be spiritually found, but yet relationally lost. You, you can make a vow of devotion to Christ and heaven is promised to you and you're on your way to your story that's waiting for you then, but you might be relationally lost here and now. And I believe that Jesus gives us these parables because he doesn't want us to just be spiritually found. He wants us to be relationally found. Finding our flock. Finding our flock. If your history does not include community, you are out of step with God's story for your life. Let me say that again. If your history does not include community, you are out of step with God's story for your life. Luke 15, 4 through 7 are the verses that give us this great parable of the lost sheep. It's a powerful story because Jesus puts in direct conflict the need of the one with the need of the many. Jesus puts in direct conflict the need of the few with the need of the many. And if you are ever a part of a community, especially if that community is something called the local church, which is what a flock is supposed to be, the prophetic picture of flock in the Bible is your church family, there will be times in your life where the need of the one or the need of the few has to be given precedent over the need of the many. 
You're experiencing that now as a part of this church with our decision to close the Suffolk campus as we've been talking about that with you through the online service and again, personally with many of you and again, just coming back to it tonight. A driving decision for us, the biggest driving decision was just the health and the well-being of the core leaders there. Four years in, we realized it's just more than what someone should be able to bear. The needs of the few became more important to us as a leadership team than the needs of the many. Now, this parable is deeply instructive because the Bible tells us that the shepherd did not leave the 99 in the sheep pen or back at the sheep farm. It says to us that they were left in the wilderness. It doesn't say that the shepherd, once they got home and he's counting all the sheep, realized that one was lost and before he went out to find it, made sure the 99 were safely corralled before he went out. It says, no, it says, while they were yet still in the wilderness, he goes for the one. Because if you're a part of a community of people and the need of the one all of a sudden is made more important than the need of the many, and you're a part of the many, you know what it feels like? It feels like you're left in the wilderness by yourself to fend for yourself. It's going to be a feeling that we all have at some point in our journey and our life together whenever we have a church family that we call home. And part of this story is also instructive because there has to be a shepherd. There has to be directive leaders, as we talk about in just a few minutes. There has to be a group of people, a small group of people, that are constantly asking the question, as the needs of the few and the needs of the many often find themselves holding each other in a healthy tension, somebody has to decide which need is going to be more important in the moment. Now, I also love in this parable that the shepherd does not create a hundred different flocks. The shepherd doesn't come back and say, you know what, it would, it would probably just be a lot easier. Instead of putting all of these hundred sheep together, and they're all a little bit different, they all have a little bit, of course they're all sheep, but they're still all unique. Why don't I create a flock for every individual sheep so they can all have exactly what they need? Right? That's not what the story tells us. The idea and the implication is the one that is found is brought back, and guess what the shepherd does with that sheep? Puts it back in to the ninety-nine. Because part of being in community is not just sometimes the, having the need of the one chosen over the need of the many. Sometimes being in community means that the need of the many have to be more important than the need of the one. Being in community means that we have to defer to one another. Finding our flock, a group of people that we can collectively trust to believe that there will be times where my need is going to take precedent over your need, but to be a healthy community, it also means that I have to be willing at times to say, I'm going to let your need take precedent over mine. And a healthy church and a healthy community finds their way forward together, taking turns. Finding our flock. Jesus goes on and tells a second parable about a lost coin which I'm calling adding our value, finding our flock and adding our value. If your history does not include contribution, you are out of step with God's story for your life, adding our value. We're not talking about money tonight. We're talking about the contribution of your life because of who you are. You are valuable tonight simply because of who you are. Not because of who you married, 
Not because of who your parents are or the school that you attend or the neighborhood that you go to or the job that you have or the income that you make. You're valuable because of who you are. Your personality, your spiritual gifts, your heart's desire, your natural ability, your life experiences, your Enneagram number, all the ways that God made you. I'm a one with a one wing and a one circle and a one box in a world that I want everyone else to be a one. And in counting, every number comes after a one because that's how we think. We all think differently based on who we are. Oftentimes we see ourselves and how we are and we're frustrated by how God made other people. And we, and we have these conversations with ourselves, right? That our life would be a lot easier if people were more like us. I know, see, it's hard. We're crying on the inside for a world that is a mirror image of ourselves. But that's not how God made it. And I think one of the reasons why God made all of us so especially unique is because he wants us to understand this one thing more than anything else is that you matter to him. And you should matter to the people who are around you. You should matter to the people that you're in relationship with because of who you are. Not if you change this one thing or add that one thing. I understand we all have personalities that need to be tempered. I understand that we're all supposed to grow and mature in this life. I understand that there are things in our life that are broken that we need to be healed from, that we need to break free from. I'm not saying they're not supposed to be changed. What I'm saying is whether or not you do that change does not affect your value. You're, you're valuable because of who you are. And for some of you, you need to start having a conversation with yourself just like that. Self-talk's important. You can't read the book of Psalms and not see that David practiced self-talk. He was encouraging himself all the time. I encourage myself, maybe more than I should. But there's times where you've got to say, I'm valuable. I don't care what that person says about me. We cannot choose what people say about us, but we can choose if we will let those words define us. For some of you, you're in relationships that you should not get out of because hopefully they're on the way to being mended and healed, but it is okay to say, I'm going to close my heart off to those things and not let those words define me anymore. You're valuable because of who you are, and you need to have people that are around you that are saying that to you over and over and over and over and over again. I love the story of the coins because I studied economics in college, so I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to those things. But as I was reading this parable this week, I was struck by the reality that I had not seen before that the value of the coin does not change whether it's by itself or with the nine other coins. In Jesus' day, when he taught this parable 2,000 years ago, there was a value to silver. That coin had a value that was assigned to it. And whether that coin was by itself or with the other nine coins, the value of the coin does not change. Whether it's by itself or in the pocket with all the other coins, it does not rely on the other coins to give it its value. It has value because of what it is, just like you. Which is important because sometimes churches can be unhealthy places if you're looking for a group of people who are going to add value to your life. But 
groups of people don't add value to your life. You're valuable because of who you are. You find churches in community because you realize that you have a responsibility to add value to them. See, the nine coins are less valuable together when the one is missing, but the value of the one does not change. You and I have a responsibility in this life to find a community of people for relationship. That's finding our flock. But at some point, we have to make a decision. Am I going to add value to that room through the giftedness of who I am? God's given you spiritual gifts, desires, passions, natural abilities, even your personality, your life experiences, even things we joke about, joke about your Enneagram or your Myers-Briggs or the things that we look at to help us understand the uniqueness of who we are and to help us to understand the parts of our lives that need to be tempered, our blind spots and rough edges. But God made you for a purpose because you have a part that you're supposed to play in his story. And part of that story is adding value to a community of people through the giftedness of your life. The order of the parables are instructive because it begins with relationship. That's how it always starts for people when they're finding a flock, when they're finding a church to call home. It starts with just coming and beginning to build friendships, to be known and to know others. But at some point, your life in the church should mature to the place where you say, I'm not just in it for the friendship and the relationship. I know at some point my story is about building God's kingdom. It's about building his church. And you begin to give the contribution of your life to serve in some capacity. And we serve each other. We don't do that because it makes me more valuable. We do that because it makes my giftedness effectual. See, other people's gift doesn't make your gift more valuable, but it does make it more effective. See, the idea of mutual dependency is an important biblical concept in 1 Corinthians 12, which we're going to go to in just a few minutes. We need each other not because we give value, we draw value from one another. We need each other because the gifts of those people around me, because of the uniqueness of who they are, when we come together, we're able to accomplish things for God that we would never be able to do by ourselves. Finding our flock, adding our value, and embracing our role. There is community, there is contribution, and there is also cooperation. This is the longest parable of the three. It's Luke 15, 11 to 31. If your history does not include cooperation, you are out of step with God's story for your life, embracing our role. It's important to understand that so many times Jesus drew on the culture of his own ethnicity and the world that he was in to teach people spiritual truths. And so when he begins to tell a story about inheritance, the, the Jewish crowd would have understood something very specific. Now, in our day and time, if someone passes, every family is different on how it decides how inheritance or, inheritances are going to play out. But not in Jesus' day, it was fixed. Only sons inherited money, and based on the number of sons, determined how it was divided. If there were four sons, it would be divided by five. If there were ten sons, it would be divided by eleven. In this instance, there are two sons, so it was divided by 
Uh, yeah, there you go. You're paying attention. Why is that? Because the oldest son, when the father passes, becomes the new head of the family. That's why you should watch the Godfather series if you want to understand the Bible. There's always a head to the family. There's always somebody in charge. The first service thought that was a lot funnier than you did. I'm just saying. (laughs) It takes resources to take care of a family. It's interesting, isn't it? So they weren't dividing it up and giving an extra portion to the oldest son for privilege. There was an extra portion given because of responsibility. So what Jesus is saying by this story is that this youngest son did not like his birth order. He did not like his role. He didn't have a choice in it. God picked that for him. Just like God picks for us how he shapes us, and he picks the role that we have in the story that he's writing. We have choice, we have free will, but a lot of that free will and a lot of that choice still falls within the boundaries of the sovereignty of God. This son at some point said, I do not want to be under my father's authority, and one day when he dies, I don't want to be under my big brother's authority, so I'm going to go out on my own. And part of the story isn't just supposed to illustrate for us the destructiveness that comes to our lives when we abandon the, the, the family of God, which is the idea of being spiritual loss, part of the wisdom of the story is that when we are in community, when we find relationship and begin to make a contribution, we begin to realize that we have a role in that church. And sometimes that role means that we are a leader, but then sometimes that role mean, might mean that we are not, based on who God made us to be. It doesn't mean that we are less. The question is, who am I supposed to be in God's family? And leadership is a specific calling. It is a unique role. That's why one of the reasons why we tell people all the time, don't rush into making a decision about a church that you're going to call home because there is a depth to that commitment. It means that you want to pursue relationship, but it also means that it's a place that you trust that people are going to see you as valuable for who you are, not because of the contribution that you're going to make. And it also means at some point that you look around that room and you look at who those leaders are, you look at their marriages, you look at their children, you look at the fruit of their life, and you say, can I, can I trust these people? Because part of being in community means that there has to be a trust in leaders who are called by God to chart the course and set the pace. See, Luke 15 is an incredible chapter for us about being spiritually lost and also relationally lost. But a lot of the Bible finds a a partner with somewhere else in Scripture, and Luke 15 finds a partner like much of the Bible does with 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is actually the theology that helps us to understand the story. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, be a part of a body. He's saying, find community. 1 Corinthians 12 isn't just poetic, it's practical. Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 12, every part has unique value. He's saying, make the contribution of your life. Serve, give of who you are. 
And then as you continue to read in 1 Corinthians 12, you, you cannot run from the reality that there are directive leaders. Verses 28 and 29 in 1 Corinthians 12 talks about apostles and prophets and teachers. Now we understand what Paul's referring to here because he also wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus. And we get to Ephesians 4, we, we find that something that's referred to oftentimes as fivefold ministry, which we believe in that, the idea of diversity of leadership. But it's not just about the diversity of leadership, it's first and foremost about the idea of the presence of leadership. There has to be directive leaders or there will be chaos. Let me tell you what embracing our role culture is not, and is certainly not here at the City Life Church. Embracing our role culture is not do what we say, because that's a culture of control, and that's not healthy. And embracing our role culture is not know your place, because that's a culture of superiority, and that's not healthy either. And embracing our role culture means that first we believe in the biblical principle of directive leaders. But then it means that we establish trust through pursuing relationship and affirming value. Again, the order of the parables are instructive to us. It begins by relationship, and then it continues by recognizing the value of people, and then there is a trust, a bond of trust that begins to form where you're willing to follow people. You can't be a leader in this church if you're not willing to pursue relationship, genuine, sincere relationship with other people. That has nothing to do with what you hope that person might do for you or this church. You pursue relationships because you care for people and because you love people. And then in that relationship, at some point, people should feel affirmed in the value of who they are, period. Period. Is there an expectation and a hope that you're going to give your life to contribute to the work of the church? Sure, because that's what spiritual maturity looks like, but it has nothing to do with why we value you. We value who you are because of who you are and because God made you special, no matter what anyone else is saying. And the third one is this. It means that we are for one another even when we can't be with one another. I shared this in a post Last week, after, the, after making the announcement about the, the not reopening of the Suffolk campus, and I, and, and I shared a little bit, it was a longer post, but one of the things I shared in there was my, my dear friend Warren Matthews, years ago when we first moved here to be a part of the City Life Church, back when we were still meeting in the movie theater on Sunday mornings, I remember him coming up to me after one Sunday morning, and he said, Fred, I said, I want to tell you something. He said, when you're right, I'm with you, and when you're wrong, I'm for you. Now, I don't remember what the topic of the sermon was that day, but my guess is what prompted Warren saying that is I probably taught something that he didn't agree with. And Warren and I, over the years, have had these amazing theological debates with one another. And that was his way of saying, when you're right, I'm with you, and when you're wrong, I'm for you. Because even when we disagree, it should not mean that relationships fracture. Because we're always for one another. Luke 15. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, He will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, 
because I have found my lost sheep. Because sometimes the need of the one is more important than the need of the many. Jumping down to verse 8, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. Because every person is valuable because of who they are. And I'm not going to read the last one because of its length. It's 11 through 31. But if you've not read that recently or maybe you've never read it, you'll find it in Luke 15, the parable of the lost son. And there are so many truths in there. But one of them is most certainly that all of us have a role to play. And we should celebrate the role that we have regardless of what it looks like, even if it's different from those around us. And find a group of people who celebrate the role that we have even when it's different from theirs. As we wrap up, I want to go back to John 7, which is where we started, and I want to move back in the chapter beginning in verse 31, because this is another reason why oftentimes we wrongly define ourselves and end up misunderstanding our identity. It says, many among the crowd at the temple believed in him, referring to Jesus. After all, they said, you would expect the Messiah, would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? And when the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering such things, they and the leading priests sent temple guards to arrest Jesus. But Jesus told them, I will be with you only a little longer. Then I will return to the one who sent me, and you will search for me, but not find me, and you cannot go where I am going. Now listen to the Jewish leaders. This is great. The Jewish leaders were puzzled by this statement, confused. Where is he planning to go? Right? Because they're thinking, where can he go that we can't go? We can go everywhere that he can go. Is he thinking of leaving the country and going to the Jews and other lands? Maybe he will even teach the Greeks. What does he mean when he says, you will search for me but not find me and you cannot go where I am going? This is a powerful picture for us, what even today happens to you and I. Jesus so oftentimes is talking to us about spiritual things, but we're so earthly minded that everything that he says to us seems to be utterly confusing. See, even if you've been here tonight or if you're watching online and even what we're talking about here and what these parables mean about finding your flock and adding your value and you're bracing your role, it just seems all confusing. What I would encourage you is just a simple prayer. Say, God, help my mind to make a shift. Help my mind to make a shift so that I can begin to understand spiritual things in the same way that I understand earthly things. Because it's through understanding spiritual things that all of a sudden this book will not just be a collections of stories and histories and, 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 and wise teachings, but it will become a path of life for us. It will soon become something that should define us so that we can begin our journey of understanding who God created us to be and the role that he has. Because at the end of the day, who here does not want God's story to be our history? So let me close with this poem written by my favorite poet of all time, Claire Michelle. 
found this on her Instagram today, and I thought, come on, this is so good. I want to live life beautiful, vast, and vibrant. I want to live life brave, not perfect or unafraid, but choosing to do it anyway. I want to live life consistent, becoming better, evolving into who I want to be. I want to live life kind. Kind to others and myself. I want to live life imperfect, learning through failures. I want to live life humble, teachable. Most importantly, I want to live life meaningful, impactful. Leaving a print, no matter how small, I want to live life knowing I fought for something bigger than myself. Come on, that's good, isn't it? I want to live my life, and I hope you do, with an eternal perspective. We, we can't abandon earthly thinking. We can't abandon earthly need, which is one of the reasons why we're sitting every other pew with face masks and have gone through more Purell and antibacterial soap than the history of man that has come before us. And we should keep doing it because we have to be earthly minded. It's important because we live in an earthly realm. But we must never forget that this earthly realm is temporary and it is just the beginning of your existence. There's a story that God is writing, a story that he is telling, and you and I have a part that we're supposed to play. And may it be that our history will be the story that he wrote for us. Stand with me as we pray. Father, whether people are watching online from their homes or wherever they might be, or whether they're in here tonight in person, I just pray that people would have an overwhelming sense of your presence right now. Because Holy Spirit, we know that you are not limited by time and space. We know someone might be watching this and it's a year from now or two years from now or five years or 10 years from now. But Holy Spirit, we know that you're not limited by time or space. And I pray for every person here coming to this moment through the uniqueness of who they are have a unique need that they, that they carry right now. And I have such a sense in this moment as we pray that there are, are people that are praying with me right now that, that you need to know that, that God sees you as the one sheep that's more important to him than anyone else. That he is going to be attentive to your need. He's going to answer your cry and he's going to rescue your life. And you're going to find yourself back into the fold and the community that you long to be a part of. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said together, amen.